0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the first Sunday of the month of Emshir, and we read the continuation of the gospel that we had read last week about the feeding of the multitude. And in this story today, the people are going after Christ, trying to find him again after he had fed them. Uh, And Jesus responded to them in John chapter 6. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled." And as we mentioned last time, the, the people had the wrong motive, that they were not seeking the Lord because of the spiritual food that he was offering them, but because of the physical nourishment that they got from him. And the reason they were trying to find him was because he was able to, to feed them, not because they wanted to learn from him. And so the Lord rebuked, rebuked them. Another thing we can learn from this story is that this is reflecting a spirit of selfishness. And really the the disease of selfishness is something that we in our world today struggle with immensely that everyone is looking after their own interests everyone is thinking about themselves and this has become like so ingrained in our thinking of how each of us deals in our life of the decisions that we make of the way that maybe that we deal with other people but as the body of christ the salvation in the church is a salvation of the whole like when we think about this spiritual life, it is it is a salvation of the entire body of Christ, the bride of Christ together, that we are united together as one bride, and that the salvation that we are seeking is not simply the salvation of us as individuals, but the salvation of the church as a whole. I remember listening to a sermon or hearing from Bishop Raphael, this beautiful uh, uh, like symbol, this beautiful explanation, when somebody asked, why is it that when when people die today before the second coming that we go to paradise but that it is only at the second coming that we enter into the kingdom of heaven why don't we go straight into the kingdom of heaven all at once and he said it's because that we are the bride of christ and as the bride enters to her bridegroom we also are 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 the the formation of of the of the body of christ and that we are all gathered together and united as one in paradise And then in that day, we all enter into the kingdom of heaven to our bridegroom all at one time, that we are all entering together as as one. So this idea of uh selfishness that we suffer from in the world is something that is um that is uh, you know against the spirit of god that it is against the spirit of salvation it is not at all found in the in the service that we should find in the scripture where in like the book of acts every single person was being selfless everyone gave of their own whether it be of their time or their energy or even their lives everyone was focused on the salvation of the body that's how the, the, what is better for the other In Philippians 2, verse 4, it says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So as we go about our lives, we should always be mindful of how is it that I can serve someone around me? How is it that I can do good to someone else and not to only be focused on my own things? So we're going to speak about uh, five points related to selfishness that maybe um, we suffer from or that we struggle with. And then I'm going to speak about the selflessness, which is the cure to that. The first uh, kind of point that we struggle with is self-conceit. Self-conceit, the definition of self-conceit, is an exaggerated opinion of one's own qualities or abilities. Sometimes we believe ourselves to be correct and right, and we believe ourselves to be knowledgeable and wise, that even in the face of other people's opinions or other people that are telling us that maybe the decisions we are making are not the right ones, that we believe ourselves always to be right. It's an exaggerated opinion of myself, of my decisions, of my qualities, of who I am, of the way that I expect other people to treat me all the time. A perfect example of this in the scripture is Haman. Haman or Haman, he was the man who uh, lived during the time of Queen Esther and he always expected other people to bow down and worship, maybe not worship as a god, but to bow down like in reverence and respect to him all the time. And it says in Esther chapter 3, it says, When, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with wrath. Just because this man Mordecai did not do as all the others and bow down in reverence toward him and respect toward him, that he was filled with this anger. Maybe sometimes we expect from other people that they should treat us with a certain level of respect, or they should treat us with a certain level of deference, or to make us, you know, to give us a special place of honor, or that we see ourselves that we are worthy of this, and that when we do not receive it from other people, we become angry and upset. Maybe this is reflecting in us a kind of a selfishness. Why is it that I should deserve this treatment? Why is it that I should be treated with respect? If we look at the Lord Christ himself, the one who was due the greatest honor and the greatest respect and the greatest reverence, look how how he was treated and look how he responded when he was treated that way. Even while he was on the cross, he was forgiving and asking the Father to forgive those people who were crucifying him. And many of the examples that we have in the history of the church of the most righteous people who died as martyrs they died not with hatred or anger toward those who were stoning them or to those who were uh, persecuting them or attacking them but they died with love for them they didn't believe that they actually deserved any better what they believed is they wanted to suffer for christ this is what they had in their mind if we really believe that we are made of dust and that we are very low and humble in our spirits then humility is not going to be reflected only in kind of the fake words that we use that express humility. If I want to know if I'm a humble person, let me look at how I respond when I'm wronged. Let me look at how I respond when maybe someone does not treat me the way that I think I should be treated. That is a reflection of my humility. How is it that I I take it? Do I have this same problem that Haman had here in Esther chapter 3? The second um, characteristic of selfishness That we're going to speak about is the self-will definition of self-will is to be governed by one's own will and not yielding to the wishes of others this is kind of um, forcing my will on others not willing to compromise not willing to change not willing to try out someone else's idea always feeling that my will and my way is the right way and i'm unwavering in this Because again, maybe I think that I am better than others, or I have a better way than others. An example of this, like a very strong example, actually, um, when Jonah the prophet was speaking with God, and God was trying to teach him a lesson. This is at the end of the story, where Jonah is waiting to see what is going to happen to the people of Nineveh. And uh, God makes this plant to grow so that it gives Jonah shade in the middle of the heat of the day to give comfort to Jonah but actually this was part of a lesson that God wanted to teach Jonah and then God allowed a worm to come and to eat this plant so that it it died and so now the shade that it was offering to Jonah was was no more and so Jonah became very angry and so this is part of a lesson that God is trying to teach Jonah. He's trying to teach him, you care so much about this plant that grew in a day and then died. How much more do I care about the Ninevites, right? The Jonah who didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. This was the lesson that God was teaching Jonah. But here when God is questioning Jonah, and he's telling him in Jonah 4 verse 9, he's saying, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Like God is rebuking him, and God is bringing to his mind that he, his stubbornness and his attitude and his... Um, lack of compassion on the Ninevites is a problem and he's explaining to him very gently right without without harshness. right God could have been very harsh with Jonah. he's already, ran away and went in the wrong direction and, and fled from when God called him to preach. And now, even after he's gone, he's kind of gone against his will, and he's, try- he's doing this with a bad attitude, and he really doesn't want the Ninevites to be saved. And so God is speaking to Jonah here. He is it right for you to be angry about the plant, about the idea that the plant was, was uh, perished and that it, it died? And this is Jonah's response. It is right for me to be angry even to death. right What is this reflecting? It is reflecting a self-will. It is reflecting that my will, even when I'm speaking to God, is so strong that I'm unwilling to yield. I'm unwilling to give in. I'm unwilling to say, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. This idea of not willing to yield and listening to others and, and, and consenting to the will of others, and especially to God here in this case, is another reflection that maybe I have a problem with selfishness. Maybe I am so attached to my own opinion, to my own will, that I'm unable to let it go. Third uh, characteristic of selfishness is self-indulgence. Definition of self-indulgence is excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's own appetites, desires, or whims. The verse that comes to mind here is in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10, when King Solomon is saying, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. But King Solomon here is saying, I deserve it. I deserve the best. You know, I, I worked very hard, and, and I did so many good things, and so I now deserve to indulge. And of course, this indulgence was a sinful type of indulgence. And we know King Solomon, he had many, many wives and concubines and so on. He, tr- he, he, he tried to enjoy life to its fullest, King Solomon. He's actually one of the the very good examples in the scripture of someone who had it all. And then he is now writing to us of his experience of what it was like to have it all. And he's saying, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Everything that I discovered, it was empty. It was vain. It had no purpose. It was, you know, it didn't satisfy the way that I thought that it would satisfy. And so when we read in his book in Ecclesiastes, it's one of the very important lessons that we learn from this book. Many times our goals are to achieve some type of indulgence. We want to have some kind of luxury. We want to be able to afford it. We want to be able to live like the wealthy. We look at maybe the celebrities and these people, these powerful people, and we say, we want to be like them. We want to have what they have. We want to do what they do. And maybe this is my my life's goal. My life's desire is to be like this. This is maybe reflecting a kind of self-indulgence and selfishness. Is this my only focus, you know? And oftentimes people who kind of have this very, very strong goal are, are, are unwilling to share what they have with anyone because their goal is to keep it for themselves. Their goal is to enjoy it themselves. Their goal is to indulge in the things that they have and the things that God has blessed them with only for themselves and not to share it with anyone else. This is another type of selfishness. A fourth type of selfishness is self-righteousness. This is a person who is convinced of their own righteousness, a person who is convinced that they are righteous before God and that they are the judge and that they are the one to declare that who is good and who is bad and what is it that should be done. The perfect example of this is the Pharisee and the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who both went to pray and yet the Pharisee, it says what, the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. He stood before God and instead of being humbled before God and seeing his own sin and seeing his need for God's mercy, all he saw was his own righteousness. He saw all of his good deeds before his eyes and he felt justified in himself that he deserved salvation, that he deserved reward from God for all that he had done and looked at the others around him and said these people are not worthy like I am worthy these people do not deserve it like I deserve it and maybe we suffer sometimes from this as well that we feel like we are good and the people around us are not good maybe i when i go to work i feel like i am the one who is good i'm the one who has like the the you know the, the the right morality, and I'm the one that has the right understanding, and I'm the one who is doing the right thing, but everyone around me is wrong, and is not, is not up to the moral level or moral standard that I choose to live by. And maybe it is true that as Christians, we are striving to live to a higher moral standard. This is true. But how often do we fail to do that? How often do we slip to do that? How often do we say something we, did, we know we shouldn't say, or think something we know we shouldn't think. And this is the thing with morality, is that when God is judging us in terms of his moral law, he says what? It is just the thought itself that is wrong. You know, maybe we see people who are practicing certain actions that we know is wrong, but what about us? Even if we don't practice those actions from the outside, what about my thoughts? What about the way that I think about people? That in itself, maybe from the outside is hidden. People can't tell that I'm thinking this way. Or maybe me, myself, I excuse it because it's just at the level of thoughts. But, but God said what? Well, even if you hate a person, it is equivalent to murder. Or even if you lust after a person, it is equivalent to adultery in the eyes of God. So we shouldn't think ourselves to be so self-righteous. We live our lives according to God's mercy and we we believe that we have salvation because he is merciful to us not because we deserve it not because we are righteous not because we have you know come to the church do we deserve salvation it is only because of God's mercy the last point or characteristic of selfishness that I'm going to talk about is self-satisfaction this is what a smug satisfaction with oneself or one's positions or achievements Maybe I become complacent after I have reached a certain level of success, and that success could be either the physical success in life, in terms of financial success, in terms of, uh, you know, success in my family, success in uh, many different avenues in the world, right? Then maybe when I become uh, kind of at a certain level, I feel like very satisfied with myself. I am not in need of anything. I don't need anything. I'm completely I figured it all out. I know how to live. I know what to do. I'm a successful person. Or maybe even in the spiritual life, if I feel like I have excelled in my spiritual life. I've excelled in praying consistently. I've excelled in learning the hymns of the church. I've excelled in serving. I've excelled in 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 mastering many virtues, right? then maybe I just feel self-satisfied and content with where I am, and I don't feel any need to struggle or to strive or to grow and grow anymore, and I feel like what I've attained so far is sufficient, right? And in Philippians 3, verse 12, St. Paul is saying, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So St. Paul himself, St. Paul is the man who saw visions of heaven. St. Paul is the man who performed miracles. St. Paul is the man who allowed himself to suffer and traveled the world establishing churches. Okay, this is St. Paul. St. Paul is saying, I have not already attained. Right? I have not already. What I have done is not enough. I am not already perfected, but I continue to struggle. I continue to press on. I continue to fight to do more, to grow more, to be sanctified more, to serve more. And he is never satisfied, as long as he still had breath, that he was continuing to work, and he never stopped even until the very end, right? So this is another type of selfishness. Whenever we feel content with what we have achieved, and I don't need to try more, I don't need to repent more, I don't need to do everything is fine the way it is, right? God does not want us to, to look at ourselves and say everything is fine the way it is. He wants us to always be growing. He always wants us to serve more, to do more, and not to be content or self-satisfied. So what is then the cure for all of these types of selfishness? We said self-conceit, self-will, self-indulgence, self-righteousness, self-satisfaction. What is the cure? Well, the cure is selflessness. Right? The cure is selflessness. We see many examples of people who were selfless. Someone like Abraham, for instance, when God told him, leave your home and go travel somewhere else, he said yes. When God told him, go rise in the morning and and sacrifice your son on the altar, he said yes. Everything that God told Abraham to do, Abraham submitted his will. More than that, Abraham was also very um, selfless in the way that he dealt with people. For instance, when he and Lot had a disagreement or their their shepherds had a disagreement as to, you know, where they should live and and the the flock, so they decided to part ways. So Abraham, even though he was the older and even though he was the one who, who should have had the first choice, but instead he told Lot, choose where you want to live. You choose for yourself and whatever you do not choose, I will choose right? I want you to have the best place. Pick for yourself the best place, and then I will place, pick whatever place is left over. This is extreme humility from Abraham. Abraham was the patriarch. Abraham was the one that was chosen by God to lead the nation of the children of God. And this man told his nephew, please pick where you want to live, and I will pick whatever is left over. This is extreme humility. Or someone like the Good Samaritan, for instance. This is someone who is very selfless. He, this good Samaritan, he was on his way to do something, to have some business, to do something important. And when he saw someone in need on the side of the road, he changed his plans. He stopped what he was doing and he changed everything in order to go and serve that person and to take care of him. Again, this is expressing selflessness. I'm not only thinking about my own things, but I'm thinking of what is important to the others. In Galatians 2.20, St. Paul says what? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave gave himself for me. This idea of it is no longer I who live, when St. Paul was saying this, he's saying, I've completely submitted myself to Christ. And the life that I live, I live for him. I don't live for myself. I don't live for my will. I don't live for my desires. I don't live for what I want. I have completely given up what I want so that every moment is, is dedicated and consecrated only to God. So what are some characteristics then of selflessness? The first one is self-denial, right? To deny myself. Philippians 2.3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or deceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. I am denying myself. Whatever it is that I want, I deny. Whatever it is I want, instead, I choose what another person wants instead of me. If I want to go in one one way, right, instead I defer to somebody else. I, I give up my life, not just for people, but I give up my I give up my life to God. God calls me for a difficult service. God calls me to a service that makes me uncomfortable. God calls me to a service that takes up a lot of my time, maybe more time even than I think I can afford. To, to deny myself means that I accept this. To deny myself saying, God, I will give give to you what you ask me for because you have asked it and I will give of myself. It is uncomfortable. Any real service that we offer to God should be should be uncomfortable because if I am offering from what is comfortable right then i'm not really struggling and i'm not really giving what is valuable to god god wants the first fruits right god wants the first fruits in anything that we give to god in our tithing for instance he wants the first fruits we don't wait until we have earned our money and we spent it on whatever we want and then if there's any left over we give it to him no he says give it to me from the beginning right give it to me regardless of whether you think you have enough or not give it to me right give it the first fruits the first fruits of our time. You know, sometimes we say, you know, I cannot do any kind of service because I'm so busy with work and I'm so busy with my kids and I'm so busy with my spouse and I'm so busy with this and this and this and this. Yes, we're all busy, okay? We live in a time where everyone is busy. So what is the self-denial? I'm going to give even though I don't believe that I have the time to spare. I'm going to give and God will bless the time and God will make it so that there is time because he blesses and gives grace in the time that I have. 1 Peter 5 verse 6, it says, Therefore therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. To be humble before God is to deny ourselves, is to see that God's will is, is higher and better than my own, to follow where God leads, instead of telling God where I want him to take me. Second characteristic of selflessness is self-control. The definition of self-control, the ability to control oneself, in particular, one's emotions and desires are the expression of them and one's behavior. We often feel negative emotions about different things. We often feel negative emotions. Someone does something or says something that bothers me or some situation in my life that's not going according to how I want it to go. Self-control, a part of self-control is learning to control my reactions to these things. Learning to control my actions to people that don't do as I wish learning to control our reactions to situations that do not go as I wish, right, and also learning to control my desires. When my body desires something, my flesh desires something that I know is against the command of God, am I able to contain myself? Am I able to control myself so that I do not fall into sin? Proverbs 16.32, it says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The person who is able to rule his spirit, to control his reactions, to control his emotions, to control his desires, to control how he, what he says and what he does. The, this person who is in control of himself is mightier than the one who can conquer a city, is mightier than a warrior. Because truly this person is a spiritual warrior. This person who is able to do this, it is only through the spirit of God. And in the spirit of God and putting on the armor of God, we have the power of God at our disposal to to help us to gain self-control. should ask myself, am I in control or not? Do I find that I, I see that other people are the ones who are controlling me? Other people are the ones that are determining my reactions. If somebody says some, something, it triggers me immediately and I have almost like an automatic response that I can't change, that I can't control. Maybe this is a sign that I'm, I'm lacking in self-control, that I need to work on this idea of self-control. And sometimes we, um, you know, we, when, when, when you talk to someone who has this problem, they defend themselves and they say, no, I, I, I have control, right? But oftentimes we don't even realize that we are lacking in this self-control, that, that when, when someone does something or says something to me, it immediately triggers me and we lose our temper. The final point I want to make is uh, the characteristic of selflessness is self-sacrifice. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Sacrificing ourselves, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, So I asked myself, what am I sacrificing for God and who am I sacrificing for? What is it that I'm giving to him? He has sacrificed himself for me. Right. And this was his expression of love. How do we know that God loves us? God loves us through his self-sacrifice. Right. God is omnipotent and God is omniscient and God is everything. Right. He is infinitely powerful. So when you have someone with an infinite amount of resources and then he gives me some of his resources as a gift, it doesn't, really, um, like it doesn't really communicate love necessarily. Like if you had someone with an infinite amount of money and then he comes and gives me some money, do I really feel like it's love? I mean, he didn't really lose anything. He didn't, he didn't really give me of anything because he has an unlimited amount. So if we see God as being this all-powerful person who just all he does is he gives everything to everyone, yes, maybe some people want God to be this way, that God just gives us everything we ask for. But this doesn't necessarily communicate love or reflect love. Actually, maybe some of the things he gives us are not good for us. But when God consented to die for us, when God consented to experience pain for us, when God consented to experience hunger, when God consented to experience mockery and persecution, for us this as a reflection of the love of God because he gave up something and it is a mystery how an infinite God could actually give up something but that is actually what he did because he gave up his infiniteness he, he allowed himself to become finite by taking on the human nature right he gave up the, the greatest thing that he has right and, I, and I'm not saying that he ceased to be God but he allowed himself to experience humanity in its fullness, and not just any humanity, but a pretty miserable humanity. You know, he didn't incarnate as a king, as a as a powerful ruler, as a wealthy person, as someone who had a comfortable life. He incarnated as a person who experienced a lot of suffering and pain, right? And ultimately died in a gruesome way. This is the life that he chose for us to demonstrate his love for us. So I can ask myself the same question, right? Who is it that God has placed in my life? How is it that God wants me to serve them? How can I sacrifice myself for them? How can I sacrifice myself for God? This is the true um, uh, way of expressing love, right? That I'm giving up something. I'm not giving you of my abundance. I'm giving you of something that is precious to me something that is important to me. This is um, self-sacrifice, and this is a way of combating and fighting against selfishness. So today we spoke about the selfishness of those people who sought after the Lord. They did not seek after him to serve him. They did not seek after him to learn what is spiritually edifying to them or, or to receive from him what he wanted to offer. They went after him only because he fed them and because they were so mindful of their own desires and of their own hunger, that that is all they cared about. And we spoke about how this reflected a kind of selfishness. And we spoke about five different kinds of selfishness and three different kinds of selflessness. So may God teach us how to be selfless and to live our life in a selfless way. Because as I said, salvation is is for the church. Salvation is for us as a whole. And we should be helping one another attain salvation, serving one another and, and meeting each other's needs instead of only focusing on ourselves. And glory be to God forever. Amen.